Yes, I uh, think we should. I, I don't think we should talk about it. Good idea. It will probably happen in a year, but it's a good idea. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So this is yes. Yola complaining that Susan, who does the website, is mm -hmm. behind. And you know, and you know why? You're it's my person. answer for everything. Pandemic. Sorry for saying sorry media presents the Purr Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. So uh, my name is Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. This is the Per Podcast. And uh, Dr. Susan, do you mind introducing our guest? I don't mind at all. I am I am thrilled. I've been looking forward to this since Tony said yes. So we have Dr. Tony Johnson with us, who Yay. is hello everyone. Someone that I just love, and I've worked with a fair bit over the years, and I haven't seen in years because of this darn pandemic so yes, i blame the pandemic it's we'll nice to be here pandemic. yes i've been wanting to do it for a long time we just were on a road trip last week and we put on the per podcast oh. and my kids were delighted and i said i'm gonna text susan and see what i can do so and look at that here you mm -hmm. are yep. here yep. you are i yep. visualized it like oprah and now it's come true and now it's yeah. come true <laughs> mm -hmm. yep. you just yeah. ask for it and you get it yeah yes yeah. ask the universe Mm -hmm. So you should tell us a little bit about your, well, not us, because, well, maybe Yola. Yola probably doesn't know that much. And, about and our, our dear listeners. Yes. Think about sure. those people. Yes, because I think you have children. an interesting career, Tony. So tell us about you. Well, thank you. So I'm a criticalist by training. I graduated in 96 from Washington State and bounced around a little bit. I worked in Maryland. Um, I worked in Chicago. And for the past 10 years or so, most of my professional life has been working for VIN, yeah. the Veterinary Information Network, um, just helping run the boards, helping get new consultants, answering emergency medicine questions. And then with that, I still get into the ER a couple days a month just to, you know, get into the blood and guts of it. And I also lecture, which is where Susan and I have crossed paths many yeah, times over done. a bowl of poutine. In, oh, and in, indeed, we really need to do a wet lab together. Yeah, that was um, fun. Again, yeah. She's mm -hmm. always, I, with those wet labs, she's always, I don't want to put in the tube. I don't want to put in the tube. I did the tubes. Yeah, I know. It was she's perfect. always looking for, for it was third parties putting in <laughs> yes, tubes. Yes, yes. <laughs> in, every, in every orifice that Mother Nature invented, plus a few novel ones. So. <laughs> Yes, we can create ones too. Yes. Yep. Yes. So anyway, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Well, we're glad you're delighted. That's always a good start, you know, when people are delighted. So mm -hmm. yes. yeah. And it and it's nice because normally it, it when Dr. Susan and I start the podcast, we chat around for like at least 10 minutes and then we're like, oh my gosh, what was the topic? But now mm -hmm. we can dive in straight. Okay. All right. I don't even know the topic. So I'm going into this. <laughs> yeah. Completely. So that, that's yeah. The, that's the thing that that's kind of the um yeah, really the the theme I think of our podcast is we we never really know where it goes. Um and, and we have had some guests who are very nervous about that. Mm -hmm. Right. Because oh. they want to know like in advance. You know, do I need to do this? What are we going to talk about? Mm -hmm. 
And I'm always like, I have no idea what we're going to talk about. It'll involve cats like that. In, in my head, it was um, mandolin design in 14th century France. Oh, that's so I've, still there. I've studied exactly. up on that extensively. We exactly. still there. Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting because I've done many podcasts already with other podcasts, and then you get a whole list of questions, but we don't do that. We don't do that. <laughs> I ignore okay. those lists normally anyway, so it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. You don't do requests. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're but, not a wedding DJ. But talking about mandolins. <laughs> Excellent segue. Mm-hmm. A good segue. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Where are you going with that, Yola? No, no, I just, I, I, what is the, the relationship between a good mandolin and uh, critical care? <laughs> uh, I would say if you play mandolin music in your ICU, I think Ooh. you will have a much lower mortality rate. So Ooh. I think it will uh, decrease catecholamine release in your patients. There you go. And uh, all of the owners will be attractive and wealthy and all the patients will go home. Um, Yola, did you play music in the OR? Are you a surgeon who liked music? I do, I do. Not always my music choices were appreciated by the rest of the people. And that's why I wanted to ask, also ask Tony, when he plays the mandolin in the ER, do you see any people in the ER at the same time? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like turning on a, an apartment light in, in, in Brooklyn. All, they all scatter like cockroaches. <laughs> like, oh, crap, he's got the mandolin. So, yeah. yeah, and it's not an instrument that you can hide very easily. No, pretty sizable. And, and considering I just play um, Norwegian death metal, that really oh, that 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 leads to attrition. That's so. that's limiting. That's limiting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yes. That reminds me of the fact that uh, in uh, during the Eurovision Song Contest, which is a huge deal in Europe, yes, yes. not 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 in uh, there was a Finnish hard rock band that I don't know what they produced, but it was sound and it won. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I heard about that. It was a n- noise band they called them. Yes. Yes. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A Finnish a noise thing? band. Yeah. It's a thing. Okay. It's been around it's for years. Oh, uh, I'm, just a... showing, I'm just showing my age. You know, the minute you the minute you start saying things like it you know, it doesn't sound like music, or I don't understand this. I don't I don't these know what these kids doing. today. These yeah. kids today. That's the next sentence. And I know. Then you're done. You're done after nope. that. Yep. And that's why she's not a mandolin expert. No. So what music would you play, Yola, in the ER, yeah. in the OR when you were ORing? Um, so I kind of like classical music and, um, mm-hmm. and, but most of the time the, especially the students that were with me were not appreciative of it. So then we switched to some pop station that played mm-hmm. the, the regular thing. Yeah. But, uh, then I also start singing, which is even worse. Oh, indeed. <laughs> well, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah. You know what this uh, is? You haven't heard me singing, obviously. <laughs> Do you remember that study that came out a few years ago where they where they played music to cats under general anesthesia? Did we talk about that on a podcast, Yola? To cats? Yeah, yeah. So there were music um, for cats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were cats under general anesthesia, and they put like little headphones on them. I'm not making this up. I am not making this up. Making this up. And and they they studied the effects of like class if they played classical versus like heavy metal versus Mm -hmm. i don't know something else and they measured like you know heart rate and respiration rate and and stuff like that yes yeah and and as you might guess the cats that um 
listened to classical music under general anesthesia had like lower heart rates and you know they yeah. But yeah. classical music is not monolithic. Like there's different, no. you know, there's different kinds. This is this is true. Like some of it, it can be pretty loud, you know. Some yeah. like yeah. some of Beethoven is, right. you know, the 1812 overture. There's there cannons and stuff. So I guess um, are we gonna put a link to the article in the show notes? Yes, I uh, think we should. I, I don't have know idea. Idea. about it. Good idea. It will probably happen in a year, but it's a good idea. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So this is yes. Yola complaining that Susan, who does the website, is mm -hmm. behind. And you know, and you know why? <laughs> it's my answer person. for everything. Pandemic. Oh, oh I yeah, thought, totally. I, totally. I thought it was supply. We changed it. Supply chain? Pandemic to supply. Hard to, hard to, yeah, it's hard to pin that one on supply chain. Pandemic, though. Pandemic, yeah. Pandemic. Which, you know, it's related to the supply chain and in a way. unrest in Eastern Europe. So, yeah. Yes. You know, the, the, yes. one, the, the one negative thing of that article that Susan was talking about is that they did not use the mandolin as a music oh. instrument for those cats. That yes. could have been yeah. a nice addition. And I think in my letter to the editor, I pointed that out. That could have been a nice yes. addition. Mm -hmm. yes. yes. Do you ever use a mandolin in surgery, like the slicer that one has in the kitchen? Like I feel like that could be useful for a biopsy or uh, I, I, know, I something think like maybe that. I used a mandolin to smack people out of the OR. Uh, yes. It, it I increased used, my reach. I used a, a mandolin in the kitchen once to slice off like the distal two millimeters of my pinky. Oh, that's an oh. emergency. Yeah. Oh, it was a mess. It was a Dangerous. mess. Yes. So, yes. so when that happens, Tony, are you going into our McCry baby mode or are you going into your emergency mode and say, ah, blood, let's do. <laughs> um, I mean, other than I think my family accidentally ate the little piece that came off. I just <laughs> took care of it. I put a bandage on it. Um, it was a, the problem is I put gauze over it first. Oh. And I didn't change the bandage for like two days. So it literally grew into the gauze. Nice. So nice. that I guess that would be more in the crybaby mode than like an actual ER person. Yeah. Would That's a rookie mistake right there. I know it was, totally was. I, and I paid for it. Yeah. I paid for it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 I'm like, well, the I have a question because we, we, That's we discussed, let, let's be serious for a second. Uh, we discussed uh, in the last. Uh, I don't know, somewhere in the last 10 podcasts, I can't remember, uh, cats that fall from really great heights. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. we did. Uh, and they, they come up with all sorts of very interesting uh, abnormalities when they come in the R. But mm -hmm. I would love to hear from you uh, if you get that multiple trauma animal, especially with cats, what do you do? Well, so I, I have this in a, in a lecture and I have this amazing picture of a cat that fell out of a high rise in New York onto a fence. And it was one of those fences with, and it's through and through, like you can see. And the cat, this is, I think it was from AMC and the cat allegedly did okay because it was a cat. And you put all the parts in the same room and close the door and they do okay. Yeah, um, yeah. no, I know it's impressive. Um, well, you know, whenever I have something that rolls in on a gurney or gets carried in in a cardboard box and I feel my, heart rate start to go up, I always ground myself with the ABCs because that's what you yes. have to do and try and, you know, tackle those. Um, sometimes you have to tackle those while you're simultaneously scraping the owner off the ceiling. Yes. Um, you know, let them know that the cat's been given something for discomfort and that there's people monitoring and, you know, all that. But I mean, really first, it's just make sure the airway is okay. Make sure the breathing is okay. If nothing is 
is wrong there, then you move on to circulation and therapy for shock. Uh, we try to get something for pain in fairly quickly in the in the process. Um, and then, you know, once you've done the primary survey and your ABCs are okay, um, you know, sometimes then you'll kind of talk to the owner, set the stage, um, you know, maybe get permission for other tests like radiographs and blood draws, and then go back and do your secondary survey and just do a nose to tail evaluation of, of everything or everything you, you can. Um, and then once you have that information, maybe with a little bit of lab info under your belt, you can come up with some sort of cockamamie semi-coherent plan for what we're going to do to put the cat back together. <laughs> and, and it's interesting because uh, there's some heated discussions about the ABC or D's or E's or whatever it is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and, and, and why is that? So I think that discussion circulates mostly around arrest, where ah, in people, yes. they do CABs. Because yes. if you get felled by a little clot in a very bad place, which is a common human thing, an uncommon veterinary thing, then chest compressions are going to be what hopefully gets what you, you back yeah, yeah what you need yeah. for us i think and particularly in cats i think we see a lot of respiratory arrests that then go on to cardiac arrest mm -hmm. so to me it's still abc um in an arrest scenario um i know there's a few folks who would probably disagree with that who are like no chest compressions really should take precedence over everything and that's fine um i think the reality of it it just depends on how many boots you have on the ground and how many if it's you and the receptionist you know, versus are you at a teaching hospital where you have interns and residents and technicians galore? Um, so, but I mean, I think it's mostly the, the difference in cardiac arrest between veterinary patients and human patients. But when it comes to trauma and emergencies, I'm still very much ABC. Yeah, yeah. I think you're, I think it's really spot on what you, what you said about cats, because they, that's been my experience too. It's, that's the only time this week I've been spot on. <laughs> well it's a good thing to be spot on with yeah. yes i'm usually spot yeah. on there so you it's go it's good to be yeah. spot on during the per podcast it is that is true that yeah. is true yep. yes because i think cats are good at respiratory arrest first i i yes. I, yeah. I do agree with you there and and i think the, the other thing that confounds trying to make that comparison to, between treating like um people who are uh, you know uh, have acute trauma or or uh or shock and veterinary patients, especially with cats, is that cats don't do the same things in shock that dogs and people do always either, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. They don't have the good sense to be tachycardic. They don't. Um, yeah. And then the, the hypothermia, hypotension link, yeah. um, you know, is super important. So if you have a cat who is hypotensive and cold, warming them up is going to be, to me, equally or more important or than giving, you know, huge gobs of fluids. Yeah. 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 And, and, yeah. and next to the fact that you can't find anything to put fluids in except for you know under the skin which doesn't work or you have to put in a intraosseous or whatever mm -hmm. so what do you do with yes. those well um you know try every vein i mean i've been lucky enough to work with uh, excellent phlebotomists who really mm -hmm. are able to become the vessel um and you know even if it's a 24 gauge iv that's better yeah. than nothing it's but a start right yeah, yeah yeah and you know i wouldn't say like it's not a rare thing to use an intraosseous catheter but i will pull them out if i can't get any other uh you know methods of, of, of access 
Um, typically, that's kind of a neonatal thing just because it's yeah. easier to do and harder to get a, you know, venous access on one of those guys. Yeah. And I think um, the, the amount, the limitation of the amount of fluid you can put in is a is an issue, right? And so in a neonate, that's probably going to be more influential. Right. Right. <clears throat> and like in, a, five, a five mil bolus for a kitten. Yeah. Yeah. For a lowercase yeah. cat is going to be, you know, yeah. a lot more. Yeah. And I try to limit, you know, you can't generalize, but in general for cats, I try to limit my initial boluses to maybe 30 to 50 mils while I'm doing warming up. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll go higher than that. Um, but yeah, 30 to 50 mils to assess response. Yeah. Yeah. Because cats are, are good at like not doing what you think they should do. Yes. They're good at getting fluid overloaded. It's amazing. Oh. Their, you know, their survival skills are incredible. And we've all seen cats survive things that are just like, holy heck, how did you yeah. make it through that? But, you know, yep. they're somewhat intolerant of, of us when we get a little overly aggressive with anything. You know, we've all seen those cats that come in, they're turning blue. You're like, well, maybe we can get a radiograph and you know, that tips them over the edge or yeah, just, just you know, just the stress. Yeah. So I, I try to take a, I don't know about hands off, but maybe like halfway on hands, halfway on yeah. approach. And if it's not immediate that they need tests or IV access, just let them chill in O2, spray a little feel away, give them a box to hide in, maybe a little bit of butorphanol, you know. Yeah, exactly. And try to try to let them equilibrate to something. Right. And um, yeah, because I, I think a I, I think we we can be our own worst enemy in working with some of these really emergent yeah. cats, right? Like it's yeah. us wanting to like, you know, dash in. There's like the blocked cat. Everybody wants to dash in there and unblock the urethra, but that's actually mm -hmm. not job number one, right? So mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's, yep. it's, you've got to kind of rethink your approach, I think. And, and I've, I've always said that, you know, a, a trip to the ER in the middle of the night for any pet is like alien abduction. Because oh. you know, you're 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 at home. You've got your smells. You've got yeah. your whatever. And yeah. then all of a sudden, you're like, there's bright lights, and there's people you don't know, and they're probing you, and, and there's something yeah. in your butt, you know. So and there's mandolin so, playing, and there's <laughs> mandolins in the background. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And if mm -hmm. you're lucky, the spaceship takes you home. If you takes you home at some point, yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. After yeah, you've been yeah, subjected really to the the Norwegian death metal. I love the cat abduction thing. I mean, that's a, that's a good yeah. analogy. Well, you know, when I have owners, I kind of, yeah, I, I express to them the, the dual nature of being in the hospital of like, yes, we can find things out. Yes, we can cure things. We can fix things. However, there's a, a there's a inescapable amount of stress that comes with that from being away from their people from, you know, hearing like the smells have got to be just bonkers in that place. Yeah. The fear pheromones, you know, wafting through the air, the, you know, crazy mandolin playing dude in the white coat, you yeah. know, All it's no that. fun. No, no, that's very, that's very true. Cats are special. I'm glad that you, you mentioned that getting um, an analgesic into them is high, high on your, on your list. Right. Cause I think we still have a lot of, of that professionals who are worried about doing that. They're worried that it'll have an adverse effect. They're worried they won't be able to assess the patient properly. Yeah. I've never had it really be for the important stuff. I mean, you know, if you take a cat with a spinal injury and you give it a whopping dose of fentanyl, yeah, it might make it harder for you to evaluate. But I think if you choose something, you know, for super critical patients, I'd like something that's reversible and short acting and fentanyl, I think is okay for that. 
Um, and you just have to evaluate them in, in light of what you've given and how long it's been on board. Um, but I, and I also think, you know, one, it's an ethical thing where a painful animal really shouldn't have pain meds delayed. And I think it helps build a bridge with owners yeah. where you talk to them and, you know, you go in and introduce yourself and you say, look, I've already given something for pain right now. I think it kind of sets the stage for how you're approaching the entirety of the case. Yeah, it's a really good point. Yeah. I think a lot of people are also reflecting themselves going to the emergency room and most of them it's for painful things. So they can relate to the fact that you do something about it. I, mm -hmm. I just wonder, we have a quite an international audience. Uh, not everybody can get their hands on fentanyl or sure. any yeah. morphometrics. So what, what other products could they use? Well, I, I, in terms of what not to use, I am not a giant NSAID fan in the ER for, for critical cases and for mm -hmm. trauma cases yeah. in the initial period. Like, yes, yeah. you get them stabilized, you send them home on an NSAID, but I just, you know, I try to avoid those right in the initial peri-traumatic period. Um, I mean, if we're not going to do something like fentanyl, you know, cats and hydro are kind of so-so, like you can do it. I, I sort of like buprenorphine for cats. Like I, you know, that would maybe be my second choice. I don't have a lot of methadone experience. So Susan, I don't know. I probably would defer to you. Like, what do you think is a decent uh, non-fentanyl, yeah. let's, let's say severe pain, like a, yeah, you know, I, a, I, a saddle thrombus? Oh God. Yeah. So, you know, if you're, if you're talking something like that, I'd want a CRI probably, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, but in, in terms of drugs, we've been using methadone because it got licensed in Canada a year or two years, sometimes since the pandemic began. So my, yeah. everything since the pandemic began is a fuzzy timeline for me. You're so, gonna play that card again, huh? Yeah. yeah. So recently- <laughs> oh, oh, get ready. It's recently, not the last time. It's coming, it's coming, yeah. Yeah, so we've uh, we've been using methadone for, for probably the last um, two years. And yeah. and I'm a big buprenorphine lover. So buprenorphine tends to be the one, like when Yola and I uh, have done a lot of international lectures mm -hmm. and it's usually buprenorphine people tell us they can't get, right? So oh, yeah. then it's like, yeah. tell me what opioids you have, right? But because that's then that's generally where we go. So and that's the limiting, that's the rate limiting step for a lot of people yeah. is my clinic only has X, you know? So yeah. like, or I, you know, I have countries. my preferences. Right, there's, right. Yeah. yeah, there's countries where like buprenorphine might be available, but for people, but vets are actually <clears throat> not legally allowed to yeah. use it. Like laws right. vary right. so much, right? Yeah. I mean, I do, you know, I do think every clinic should have a full mu agonist around. I know a lot of places don't, and maybe some places can't get it, but you know, hydromorphone, like morphine in cats, again, little skeevy, best with maybe a little sedative. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, you, you just have to know the, the pluses and minuses of what you have on your shelf and what things to look for. Um, and also, you know, I think anxiety is a huge component of this. And I think anxiety sharpens pain yes. and leads to worse outcomes. Uh, the, you know, the problem is you get a super critical patient. So ACE promazine or an alpha two, probably not your best bet. Um, I don't know really, you know, what I would use other than just try to treat pain first and then when they're more yeah. stable. You know, I'll tell you though that, um, so I got a bit emboldened to use small doses of ACE promazine by, yeah. by hearing some, uh, yeah. you know, some other people speak. Yes. Um, uh, there's a cardiologist cardiologist in, in the UK who calls it up, like he, he was talking about cats that present like, you know, in crisis and congestive heart failure or saddle thrombus like those guys. Yeah. He calls yeah. it a homeopathic dose of ace promazine. Right. Yeah. 
right? It's like and a it, light blush. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's surprising. Right. It's like, so to me, that's, that's still that old drug, man. That's, we used it just recently in a cat that, that, um, you know, especially like the cats that come in and they're really dysmic and they're scared and they're stressed. Right. And, right. I mean, that catecholamine release is going to do nothing for, no, you that, know, that's going to kill you. Yeah. So I, I agree. And I tend to go very low for sure. Yeah. Don't use the bottle dose. The bottle dose is insane. Yeah. I'll usually just it, give what fits in the, like what fits in the needle hub. The hub. Yeah. 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 So you drop the ACE, you push it all out. There's a little bit in the hub. That's fine. And, and most of what ACE takes away, you can give back with fluids, Yeah, you know, but that's a problem with a cardiac case a little bit. Like but in theory, you know, if it's going to cause vasodilation, maybe a microbolus. I mean, it's crazy to give a cat in heart failure fluids. And I, you know, I, I always, one of my other soapbox things is don't put patients on fluids and Lasix at the same time. I know. I know you, so, you can't put it in with one hand and try to take it out with the other. Right. Although, you know, I've had some cases where I'm like, oh, I really went gangbusters with that Lasix. And, and now I think I've caused oh, so right. much poor perfusion that I do need to replace that a little, but a we're little. therapeutically trying to dehydrate them. So you don't do it. Some places do it as a matter of course. Oof, you know, yeah, right. That's bad. So you call I that rehydration, cats. really. I like the hub flush thing. I'm, I'm yeah. going to keep that one. I need yeah. a hub flush of ACE. Oh yeah, a hub of ACE. It's a, it's yeah. a, yeah. Uh, ACE and TORB is, you know, there's a lot of situations where it is helpful. TORB is not a wonderful analgesic, but it is, I think, a fairly good sedative. Take the edge off. Um, yeah. And you know, a lot of respiratory cats in my care will get O2 warmth, feel away, a box to hide in and some butorphanol. Yeah. Having said that, uh, Dr. Susan just gave a timestamp on herself and talking about time, it is time. <laughs> no. Wow. We're just getting into the good stuff. I, I know. know, but we have we have a whole session after this okay. next week. So okay. I know I hate to be the bearer of bad mandolin news, but, you know, yes. You always are. You're always the yes. Well, and my bourbon is empty too. So excellent. So yeah. well, that's a great excuse uh, to end uh, this uh, podcast for this week. Uh, Dr. Susan, do you want to do the others? Sure. So uh, check out our um, episodes at perpodcast.net. Um, it's like not up to date yet, but I, I, why. I will get there. Pandemic. Pandemic. <laughs> i'll just put a banner across the podcast page that says it's because of the pandemic yeah. um yeah so you can listen directly from um uh from our uh, web page um and uh, when i do have it up to date it it uh describes who our guests are and whatnot and you'll find us on social media we're at per podcast in many many places Right. And so um, if like Dr. Tony, you like what you hear, then um, give us a, a good rating or write a, a little review for us. Like and subscribe. Yeah, subscribe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So and, here's, and like that, here's the button. That warms <laughs> our heart and makes us feel good. But it also helps other people find our podcast, which is a good thing. So, Dr. Tony, thank you so much for yes. today. My yes. pleasure. This is the most fun I've had since I went skydiving. Well, there you go. Excellent. <laughs> and when did you do that? Never, never. Uh, so it's actually the perfect. most fun I've ever had. I, I love it. Mm -hmm. Love that. All right. Yep. See you later. Thank you. 
Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs. And you can follow her on social media with the handle at CatPetSusan. Dr. Yerla Kirpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at GVETSX. This episode is made possible by the generous sponsorship of the Take the Pledge Against Struvites in Pets Facebook page. Did you know there are three easy steps to treat bladder stones in cats with lower urinary tract signs? Step one is to take a radiograph, and if there is a stone present in the bladder, step two is to use the Minnesota Urolith app for iPhone and Android to determine the most likely type of stone. Step three is to treat the cat for at least two to three weeks with an appropriate diet and see if the stone gets smaller. If so, keep feeding that diet until the stone is completely gone on follow-up radiographs. If not, check compliance with the owner and look for alternative treatment options. Join veterinarians worldwide to take the pledge not to remove struvite stones by surgery anymore. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page at per podcast.